So what's up, Betamaxers? As always, I'm Wyndham Jennings, your host of Celluloid Fever Dreams. Welcoming you to episode 43. This week we're going back to October 27th, 1995 to talk about the horror comedy Vampire in Brooklyn, starring Eddie Murphy and Angela Bassett and directed by Wes Craven. I'm not really happy with the tagline for this film. It's just something, I don't know, to me it's just too simple considering the uh, people involved in the creation of it. It's just simply a comic tale of horror and seduction. I mean, seriously, you got Eddie Murphy and Wes Craven together on a film for the first for the only time in either of them's career, and that's the best tagline you can come up with of this film. As always, we start with our uh, two-second recap of the film, which goes like this. Uh, vampiric stuff happens. For a uh, much longer synopsis of the film, uh, Eddie Murphy plays Maximilian, an ancient vampire from the Caribbean who comes to New York City to find a bride. He has until the next full moon or his eternal life is going to come to an end. Angela Bassett plays Rita, a New York City police officer who's investigating the crimes and murders that Maximilian leaves in his wake and also turns out to be the key to con- extending his unnatural life. Kadeem Hardison plays Julius, who is uh, Renfield, to uh, Maximilian's uh, vampire- vampiric overlord. And Alan Payne plays Detective Justice, Rita's partner, and the only hope she has of saving herself from vam- from the vampire Maximilian. All right, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the movie and uh, you know a little bit about the uh, time period that it was released in. Uh, you know about this time in the '90s, late '80s, early '90s, we started seeing uh, more horror movies released with uh, African American leads or uh, African American actors playing major roles in them. Of course, the most famous one from this period has to be Candyman starring Tony Todd, which just recently got remade. Uh, but besides that, some other uh, films that we can add to the list include Tales from the Hood, uh, People Under the Stairs, Death by Temptation, uh, and Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, as well as uh, Fallen, which had uh, Denzel Washington and uh, John Goodman in it. That's later. I passed this movie, but, you know, again... It's a part of the trend that seemed to pop up in the 90s. Uh, But just like The Last Dragon, uh, this didn't just happen in a vacuum. These are continuations of a trend that goes all the way back to the 40s, including films such as uh, Lucky Ghost, that centered around or featured African-American actors and characters in prominent positions. Uh, Some others include uh, Sugar Hill, uh, The Beast Must Die, which is one of my personal favorites. It's uh, a... uh, werewolf mystery story one definitely i suggest a lot of people watch i really like it uh abby uh dr black and mr hyde jd's revenge and of course the most famous one the one that uh, i think everybody knows about night of the living dead which featured actor dwayne jones as the only survivor of the uh zombies uh only to be shot dead by what should have been the search party looking for survivors and, of course, uh, Maximilian and Eddie Murphy isn't the first uh, African-American vampire in film history. Uh, again, back in the 70s, probably the most famous one is uh, Blackula, who starred in two movies, Blackula and Scream, Blackula, Scream, played by William Marshall. Uh, i got to admit, I've never seen Scream, Blackula, Scream. I've seen Blackula, and uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a very 70s movie, and... Uh, 
still enjoyable, still entertaining. Uh, I like the story of it. Uh, in fact, Dwayne Jones himself would play a uh, vampire in the uh, classic horror film uh, Ganja and Hess, uh, which was remade in 2014 by Spike Lee as his film The Sweet Blood of Jesus. The story for Vampire in Brooklyn came about from a collaboration of Eddie Murphy, Vernon Lynch, and Charlie Murphy, Eddie's brother. Uh, in fact, this would be the last uh, story Eddie would come up with until the film Norbit, all the way in 2007, 12 years after this. Uh, Vernon Lynch has had more of a career as a producer, being responsible for things like uh, Flex and Shanice, TV show Atlanta X's, and the TV show Hollywood X's. Uh, Charlie Murphy, of course, is an actor and comedian. Uh, he's been in several other uh, Eddie Murphy projects, including um, Harlem Nights. Uh, he's probably most famous to a lot of people for Charlie, Charlie Murphy's Real Hollywood Stories on The Chappelle Show. But he's also appeared in the films uh, Paper Soldiers, Norbit, Mo Better Blues, uh, Jungle Fever, and Night at the Museum, and also the television show Power. Uh, Charlie wrote the script with Michael Lucker and Christopher Parker, uh, Lucker has also written things like Spirit, Stallion, Stallion of the Cimarron, uh, Home on the Range, Mulan 2, Lilo and Stitch 2, Kronk's New Groove. Uh, Christopher Parker's wrote uh, Battle of the Year and Heaven is for Real and co-wrote Mulan 2. Charlie Murphy has said that the story as they originally conceived it and wrote it uh, was much more straightforward. It was a, pretty much a straight horror film. But once uh, Craven come on board... He added in some of the humor and had them go back and readjust some of the characters, saying that the uh, Maximilian especially would be a better villain if there were some aspects of him that people could relate to. And, you know, put a little more humor into it, a little more um, you know relatable uh, traits, so he wasn't such an inhuman monster. Uh, Wes Craven, of course, cemented his place in horror movie history with films such as uh, The People Under the Stairs, the Hills Have Eyes. Uh, of, of course, he's the creator of Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger. He's also the creator of Scream. He, uh, some of his lesser-known work include the uh, slasher film Shocker, and he also wrote the script for the 1980 version of Swamp Thing. At first, Murphy was just going to produce the movie, but a couple of things changed his mind. First off, uh, Murphy had never played a villain. and uh, In fact, I think this is the only time in his career he has played a villain. You know, so the idea of pivoting from uh, you know heroic roles and uh, comedic roles into uh, you know straight up monster for this film really appealed to him, and he felt like it would uh, shake up his career a little. Uh, the other thing was that he owed Paramount Pictures one more film under his contract with them. Murphy had been locked into an exclusive contract with them, going all the way back to uh, 1982's 48 Hours, where he starred opposite uh, Nick Nolte. As an added bonus, by finishing this film and uh, finishing out his contract, it would allow him to acquire the rights to The Nutty Professor, uh, which would see Murphy being rebranded in the late 90s and the uh, early 20, 21st century from less of a, uh, I guess, adult-oriented comedian, uh, someone who worked a lot with uh, racy language and more into a family-friendly comedian. You know, this is... After this film, you came the Nutty Professor, uh, Shrek, um, the Doctor Doolittle films, you know things like that. So it would allow him to you know pivot and sort of extend his career and and basically see a resurgence in the '90s of his career. 
So uh, how do you wind up with somebody like Wes Craven directing this? Well, uh, Craven was looking for a challenge as well. He's a fan of Murphy, thought he was extremely talented. Uh, he wanted to work with him, and he wanted to try his hand at something a little more comedy-oriented. So so here's the thing. When the movie came out, it didn't really do well at the box office. If I remember right uh, from my research, it, it basically broke even. You know, it wasn't the hit that everybody thought it was going to be. I mean, which, which was really kind of surprising. You know, you've got Eddie Murphy, uh, probably the biggest comedian of his generation. You've got Wes Craven, the all-time horror legend who's got all these hits behind him. Um, and, and there's been different takes from different people associated with it on why it failed. Uh, Eddie Murphy actually blames it on the wig he wears as Maximilian. Which I find weird because honestly, I think the wig and the shape it gives his head, it really blends into the character. It, it's kind of weird to say this, but with the shine of it and the shape of it, it goes down his shoulders. It almost kind of reminds me of um, like a snake head, sort of. You know the way the, the, that it flows down and, and goes into his shoulders. Uh, it, it sort of it, it sort of helps bring this predatory air to the character and to his silhouette. I sound weird to say that, but you know, when you see the movie, hopefully you'll see what I'm, I'm talking about. Uh, Craven himself has said that he feels like the script and certain aspects of it sort of hampered what he wanted to do with the film. Uh, he also talks about how uh, Eddie Murphy wanted to play Max Billion just as a straight-up monster and uh, very inhuman, and he wasn't able to get some of the more uh, humorous things he wanted to get out of the character uh, while he was making the film. Which isn't to say he didn't enjoy working with Murphy. He's uh, gone on record several times talking about how talented, talented he was uh, and how in other parts of the movie, because much like coming to America, Murphy plays multiple roles in this film. Uh, he talked about how funny he was and how amazed he was that Murphy could just shift from one character to the other and be totally believable in three different roles in the film. Uh, one of Maximilian's vampiric powers is Anyone he's fed off of, he can immediately shapeshift into them. And uh, this is played to great comedic effect. Especially one of the sequences is, to me, probably the funniest sequence in the film. Uh, the first time he does it, he changes into a gangster and uses it to um, get closer to Rita and basically to uh, hamper Justice as he's uh, attempting to get Rita to go out with him. Uh, but honestly, the next character, which is a uh, preacher is, as I said, probably to me the funniest sequence in the film. As, of course, he realizes even though he's changed, he can't go into the church, so he forces the congregation to go outside to listen to him. And uh, basically does a little sermon where he starts talking about how good it is to do evil in the world. Uh, it's I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it. It's just it's, uh, something that's funny even outside the context of the film, just showcasing Murphy's comedic talents. Uh, outside of these sequences, though, most of the comedic heavy lifting are done by the characters of Julius and Silas. Uh, Julius is played by Kadeem Hardison, who you may recognize from things like the TV show A Different World, the films White Man Can't Jump, Beat Street, School Days. Um, I think he's, he's mainly moved behind the cameras in recent years, doing more directorial work. Uh, I know he's done some stuff from Di for Disney. And uh, Silas, who's played by John Witherspoon, who you recognize from films like Friday, uh, Little Man, Little Man, uh, Boomerang, the House Party films. Uh, he's also done voice work for things like The Boondocks. Uh, he also has a, also had a YouTube cooking show, 
which was hilarious. I mean, I, I love John Witherspoon, but uh, they're the first ones who encounter, well, they don't encounter Maximilian directly at first. They uh, work on the docks, and in a uh, homage to the scene from Dracula, the ship carrying Maximilian drives straight into the dock and straight into the office that they work at. And, uh, of course, everybody on board is dead. Uh, Maximilian has fed before he shows up. Uh, poor Julius, though, comes out on the wrong end of the stick, though. Uh, he's getting ready to be jumped by some gangsters that, if I remember right, he owes money to. And Maximilian saves him, sort of. Uh, he needs a Renfield. He needs a servant, somebody can go about during the day. And so he bites poor Julius and converts him into uh, basically a... I, don't know, I guess you could call it a zombie. He's undead, and he's rotting very fast, and that, that sort of becomes the arc of the character is uh, him falling apart over time as he's trying to do the bidding of Maximilian, uh, losing his hand, losing an eye at one point. Uh, and, and Julius, I mean, uh, Silas, is the not even the straight man. He's the one who's calling him out for all the things that's happening to him, who's... Uh, yeah, just the two of them together playing off of each other and the scenes they have together, have together uh, is, again, some of the funniest parts of the movie. And the two of them do a lot of the heavy lifting for the comedy in the film since uh, Murphy wanted to play a much more uh, straight character, a uh, much more serious character, I guess would be the word to use. Uh, and, of course, you got two cops who are hot on Maximilian's trail trying to figure out the uh, murders and uh, who takes all the blood out of a body. Uh, Rita, who turns out to be the woman that Maximilian has come looking for because something about her can prevent him from dying uh, at the next full moon. It's played by Angela Bassett. Uh, we've already talked about Angela Bassett uh, in last episode, Critters 4. You may also recognize her from things like Strange Days, uh, Black Panther, Contact, uh, the recent film Gunpowder Milkshake, TV show 9-11, or I guess 9-1-1. Uh, we find out her mother was a paranormal investigator who spent her final years in a uh, mental institution. Uh, this plays into the character and, and what I feel is a really well-done uh, character arc. And Angela Bassett, of course, knocks it out of the park where, you know, encountering Maximilian and some of the things he can do and some of the things she sees happens and knowing her mother's history and what happened to her mother, she begins to question her sanity. Um, later on in the film, she actually gets bit by Murphy, by Maximilian, and starts to turn into a vampire. And the struggle she has with that, with um, her trying to retain her humanity, trying not to give in to it. I mean, it, I mean, it's Angela Bassett. Does the woman, you know, do a bad performance in a movie? You know, it, even in this, which, you know, again, horror comedy from the mid-90s, you really empathize with her and you really feel uh, what she's going through and you, you really see the struggles she's having. Uh, and, you know, she slides from skeptic to you know fearing for her sanity to fearing for her, her humanity uh, by the end of the film it, it's amazing to watch especially uh, for this type of film uh, as good as she is though her partner justice who i don't actually think we ever learn his real name his first name uh isn't it, it, I don't, he's i'm not gonna say he's bad i think alan payne uh, did the best with what he was given but there's not really a whole lot to the character he's the white knight the you know the hero that's supposed to oppose maximilian and and uh rescue rita and 
you know, he's uh, popular with the women, but otherwise the character's pretty shallow, which might, I guess, might be the point. I mean, you know, towards the end of the film, he's willing to admit how he feels about Rita and risk his life for her and show that he cares about her, but I, I don't know. Other than that, the character's not really, um, doesn't really leave much of an impact on me. Uh, Alan Payne himself, you may recognize from such films as New Jack City, the Chris Rock film CB4, the Tuskegee Airmen, and uh, Jason's Lyric. Uh, Justice is helped along by Dr. Zaho, who's played by uh, Zakes McKay. McKay. Let, all right, let me try that again. Dr. Zaho, who is played by Zakes McKay, who you've seen in such films as The Serpent and the Rainbow, uh, Waterworld, A Rage in Harlem, Cry Freedom, ooh, which is another good movie. Oh, my God. I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about that movie until I, I started doing research for this. Uh, good one. Good drama uh, set during apartheid in South Africa about the um, activist Stephen Biko. Uh, great movie. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, and the film Roar. And I got to tell you, Roar is uh, one of those films that you... If you made a movie about the making of Roar, it wouldn't be believable. But it's a true story. It's, um, you know, I can't even do it justice. I'm, I'm not even going to try to on this podcast. Uh, I'm actually going to recommend another podcast, The Industry. I think I've mentioned it to you guys before. They do an episode on Roar. It is, honestly, if you're into movies, if you're into pop culture, it's just that, you know, if you don't listen to any other episode, and I, I like the show. I really like the show. But if you don't listen to any other episode, just go listen to the Roar episode and just how crazy Hollywood was uh, back in the 70s. Uh, and, and if you're wondering what Roar is about and why I'm sitting here saying, oh, it's a crazy film and you need to go listen to the story behind it, the basic story of it is it's a white family that lives in Africa in a house they share with 50 full-grown lions. Uh, and everything that you think could go wrong in that situation does. You know, to, to give you an idea, uh, Melanie Griffith, who was, uh, I think she's a teenager in the film when the film was being made and uh, it was being shot by her family, and most of the other people in the film are related to her in some way, uh, about got her face eaten off by one of the, the lions. And that's not even the craziest or uh, you know, most frightening story to come out of the production of that film. But, you know, we're not here to talk about Roar. We're here to talk about Vampire in Brooklyn. So let's let's get back to that. Um, yeah, overall, as a horror comedy, I think the separate elements work well together. I do like the comedic aspects of the film. The horror aspects of it are really well done, which, I mean, it's Wes Craven. Could you really expect anything less than uh, well-done horror sequences? Special effects are really good. Um, Got to admit, some of... Some of Maximilian's powers as a vampire, I'm not sure about. Um, you know, he, he transforms uh, Julius's little, like, two-bedroom apartment into, like, a penthouse. I don't know what vampiric power that is, or if he's, like, some kind of magic user, like a wizard or something like that. Uh, yeah, but then again, if there's one thing that's always been ill-defined about vampires, it's exactly what their abilities are. Once you get past, um, you know, sunlight weaknesses and shape changing and sucking blood, uh, you know, they're they're very, uh, very amorphous in just what they can and uh, can't do, which I guess is one of the strengths of of the monster itself in terms of uh, writing stories about them. But you know, again, it can lead to situations like this where 
transforming, you know, a rundown apartment into a luxury penthouse. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to dwell on it too much. It, it's a, uh, it's uh, it is what it is. Uh, and you know, and I talked about Angela Bassett and and how well I thought she portrayed Rita. You know, I talked about uh, you know Silas and Julius and and uh, you know how I loved their parts of the movie. How I thought that uh, John and uh, you know Kadeem uh, did did so well with uh, the parts they were handed of the movie. I talked about how Eddie Murphy, of course, proved that he's good at comedy and the uh, characters he shaped changed into, but. You know, I think I need to take a couple minutes and talk about Murphy as the villain, uh, Murphy as a monster, and and like you got to understand at this point, uh, Eddie Murphy's been around, uh, you know, over a decade in films and and uh, you know Saturday Night Live. He's you know, a huge star. He's released music albums. Uh, he's had some of the biggest comedy specials of all time, and so the idea of him as a villain at the time is just just something that everybody just kind of, you know, sort of blew their mind. Because, like, really? You got Eddie Murphy playing a villain? And I know some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, he talked about Harlem Nights. Wasn't he a villain in that? And it's like, well, no, he's a criminal in that. And uh, not all criminals are villains, necessarily. And in that one, he was basically a criminal because he was forced to be by society. He's almost a Robin Hood kind of character. But, no, in this one, he is straight up a monster. And honestly, watching the film and uh, watching what he does as Maximilian, because even though he, he doesn't lean on his comedy in the character, he does lean on his uh, you know, smooth delivery. He does sort of lean on his you know, sex appeal, which is, again, something you need to be able to do as a vampire character. Uh, if you're going to play that, it, it is one of the things inherent in the tropes. And, of course, we'd seen Eddie Murphy do this in uh, Boomerang before this film. You know, so that part, you know, is, is, again, not something that is outside of his wheelhouse. Him as a villain uh, really surprised me. The first time I saw it, even today, going back and watching the film again, I've watched it several times since it came out. Uh, really enjoyed the film. You know, spoiler for the end of the, the podcast, but... Really enjoy the film and really enjoy Murphy's turn as a villain. I honestly, every time I watch the film, it surprises me he's never been offered another role like this. Not even just as a vampire, which I, you know, I feel like, yeah, he could knock it out of the park. You know, if they ever did another one of these films or, or if he was ever offered a, you know, a chance to play something like this again, I think the closest he's ever come to horror since this film is uh, Disney's Haunted Mansion. Maybe. I'm th- yeah, I don't think he's done another one. I mean, he, you know, I don't know how you feel about Shrek. He's got magic and, and uh, creatures like that in it. But at the same time, this is the closest we've ever, ever, ever this is the closest we've ever gotten to Eddie Murphy in a straight up horror film. And, uh, you know, still this is horror comedy. It's not really straight horror. But he just knocks it out of the park. He is so menacing as Maximilian. Uh, and he is able to you know, go from charming and, you know, approachable to just stone cold and will rip you in half without a second thought like that and back again. And I, you know, I just can't emphasize this enough. I cannot understand how people couldn't see this movie and just not offer Eddie Murphy more roles as a bad guy or, you know, more roles as something 
you know, just something on the darker side of things, you know, a bad guy, another kind of monster, you know, he, he stretches for this film, uh, and he pulls it off beautifully. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Murphy is scary, is not a phrase that you would have ever thought anyone would utter, you know, going up to this film, but no, Eddie Murphy is scary in this film. Uh, you know, before we start wrapping it up, if I do feel like I got to throw in, I'm not gonna say it's a trigger warning, but this is a film that is uh, you know, coming up on 26 years old. So there are a few jokes in the movie that uh, you know, a more modern audience probably aren't going to enjoy. Um, you know, but again, it, it's the mid 90s. It's a different time. It's not an excuse for for a couple of the jokes. But again, it's not a not something that's pervasive. It's just a couple of moments that you know nowadays. Like when I went back and watched it uh, for this, yeah, you know, I'm sort of sitting there like, oh, yeah, you can't tell that joke anymore. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you shouldn't have told it then. But uh, there wasn't you know quite as much societal um, backlash against that kind of humor at the time. But again, like I said, it's a couple of moments. Uh, if you can get past them, honestly, I I have to recommend the film. You know, if you're going into something that's, uh, you know, obviously it's not something you can watch with the kids because there is some language in it. There is blood. There is gore. Uh, there's some really well done makeup effects, especially uh, Kadeem falling apart, uh, you know, going full zombie. You know, some of those makeup effects, really well done. Which, again, it's Wes Craven. Uh, you know, if you had him working on a film, you're going to get people in there who he's going to get people in there who knows what they're doing from for that side of it but yeah special effects to me the majority of them still hold up which the majority of them are practical effects you know makeup effects things like that so it's not really like it you know it's going to be like bad cgi or something uh you know but overall we've reached that point of the podcast where we must ask the most important question of all and that is was it entertaining? Uh, yeah. Like, you know, like I said, there's a couple of jokes that just, you know, fall flat or, uh, you know, inappropriate. But overall, uh, you know, once you get past them, it is a good movie. I'm, I mean, I'm just going to be honest here. It's an entertaining film. Um, the horror aspects of it are really well done. The comedy aspects of it are really well done. If I've got to knock it for anything, it's the fact that these two things don't really mesh as well as they do in some uh, horror comedies. You, you know what I mean? Almost seems like they're separate pieces, and there's not really a whole lot of crossover. Um, I can see, kind of, see what Craven means that he wishes uh, Murphy as Maximilian was a little more human, um, maybe a little more humorous, a little more open. But on the flip side of that, I really love Murphy as the vampire. He is scary. Uh, he does come across as someone who is no longer human. Uh, I like. Also, like the fact I forgot to mention this. I also like the fact that Murphy is from the uh, the Caribbean. That's where his vampire. You know, in, in the beginning, there's a voiceover where they talk about the vampires were driven out of Egypt, and the smart ones went to the Caribbean, and the rest of them went to the mountains of Transylvania or you know, the mountains of Eastern Europe. 
And so I did like it. I did like the fact that they had worked in a little, uh, you know, something other than just the European vampire aspect of it. They worked in some aspects of voodoo. Uh, you know, it, it, I just, I do like that. I like that it wasn't just the same old uh, vampire shtick that you see in so many other movies. Uh, but on top of entertaining and, and funny and scary in parts, I, to me, the film marks a moment in cinematic history, and I know what you're sitting there thinking, really? You're, you're going to try to make the case that uh, Vampire in Brooklyn is an important film in cinematic history? And yes, yes I am. As I said, this is a transition film for both Eddie Murphy and um, Wes Craven. Eddie Murphy at the time was looking to get out of his deal with Paramount. He was looking to do something different with his career. You know, this is the last movie he did that was, you know, pretty uh, mature, I guess is the word for it. You know, foul language, there's blood in it, there's, uh, you know, overt uh, sexual scenes, et cetera, et cetera. Something that's more aimed for, you know, the uh, R rating, or I guess you can even say PG-13 and above rating. You know, something, like I said, a little more mature. And his very next film was Nutty Professor where he pivoted from all this. He pivoted from the raunchy comedian. He pivoted from, uh, you know, again, the uh, more adult-oriented films, more mature films, into family-friendly. You know, this is that film. This is the, the bridge between the two big eras of Eddie Murphy's career. So it was an important film because without this film, you don't get the second era of Eddie Murphy. You don't get The Nutty Professor. Uh, you don't get um, Shrek. You don't get everything he's done since then. This is the film he had to do to get to that point. So for his career, it's very important. For Wes Craven, you know, at this point you have to remember uh, we would be on what? Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 5 or, yeah, 6? Is this one? Is Freddie dead at this point? Uh, you know, he had done People Under the Stairs. He had had all this stuff behind him. And it, you know, for him, like he said, this was a reach. He wanted something more comedic. He wanted to work with Eddie Murphy. And this is the film that Craven did. His next movie would be Scream. You know, so from the perspective of two of the biggest names to come out of 20th century filmmaking uh, and pop culture, you know, Eddie Murphy and Wes Craven... This is a very important film. It is a bridge uh, for both of them. You know, Eddie Murphy transitioning from uh, you know the goofy, foul-mouthed comedian to uh, all-around family-friendly entertainer, and Wes Craven transitioning from '80s horror icon into '90s horror icon. You know, you don't get either one of those things without this film, and so it it does it it has to, and I'm not going to say it has to, it just does represent a pivotal moment in cinematic history, and it is an important film. You know, there's this misguided conception among some people that a film has to be great in order for it to be important, and no, it doesn't. This is an important film, uh, and more importantly, it's an entertaining film. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for Vampire in Brooklyn. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, remember, if you uh, like what you heard, tell a friend. If you didn't, tell an enemy. Uh, either way, go to wherever you get this and if they allow you to, re allow you to leave reviews or star ratings, 
please do so. It uh, helps the algorithm find me, which helps me find more listeners. Uh, we're going to continue our uh, October scary movie sort of mini theme. I, I mean, I know everybody does it, but why not? I like watching horror movies anyway. Uh, with one I hadn't seen before, but I've had so many people recommend it to me that it's, it's like, you know what, I've got to watch it, and then I've got to talk about it. It's from 2009. It's a zombie film. Uh, interesting take on zombies from what I can understand from what I've seen in the trailer. The film is called Splinter. Uh, and the trailer, it looks like it's going to be a really intense film. Uh, if you want to go ahead and watch it and then see what I think about it next week, feel free to do so. Uh, if you want to share your thoughts, comments, correct me on something, or just say hi, or even make suggestions for future episodes, you can find me on Twitter at CFeverDreams. You can find me on Instagram at CelluloidFeverDreams. You can find me on Twitch at uh, CelluloidFeverDreams as well. I mean, not Twitch. You can find me on TikTok at Celluloid Fever Dreams as well. Don't forget, you can choose to be a lot of things in life. Uh, kind is one of the better ones, especially being kind to yourself because you are important. And until next week, uh, I have been Wyndham Jennings. This has been Celluloid Fever Dreams, and I will be saving you a seat for next time. Until then, good night, Beta Maxers.